five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. And let's dig into the news. Okay, Walmart's got a fun outreach to the Hispanic community, and I learned quite a bit watching it. So let's get into that. <laughs> Okay, so that was a lot of fun. Anyway, it's uh, a family Christmas photo. That's the theme of it. And uh, so that's kind of nice. Anyway, uh, what I learned over here where, it, where this, they, they cut this pastry. And see, I didn't know what this was. Let's see if I can find it now. I'll find it. There it is. Oops, missed it by just a, a bit. They cut this pastry, and the pastry is um, is co called the it's a it's a it's a round pastry, and it's got a hollow center. And it's called the wreath of kings, and it's uh, eaten on the uh, feast of Epiphany. And the what I couldn't figure out watching the com watching the commercial was the young the young boy doesn't look very excited about finding it which I would think he would, and apparently brings good luck. But also it means that you have to throw a party on the, on the uh, on, on candle mass, which is February 2nd. So it brings you a lot of work <laughs> along, with, <laughs> along with good luck. And so everyone else is laughing, and he's looking like, oh, brother, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm going to post um, information about that tradition in the show notes over at WDMA.org. You can get the show notes every day, which is the marked up things that I that I give you, <laughs> um, by going to wdma.org and uh, and subscribing is free. Or, you know, happy if you join us, uh, we can use the support. Uh, but either way, you know, that's where you find all of this extra information, which I think is wonderful. Obviously, we're going to have the jingle mingle tomorrow, not tomorrow. A week from this Thursday, so we got a couple of days left. We got some incredible people saying that they want to attend. Uh, we always, we always do seem to have some in, incredible thought leader, uh, industry leader guests, and I can't tell you who it all will be because they may not be there. You know, if you're getting all excited, but um, I'm hoping Dave Rosendahl shows up, and uh, I don't think he's ever been to one, um, but Mike from his company is registered, and um, and we've had just some great people. So get over there and register. And uh, and we've got a an amazing Christmas marketing trivia game cooked up. The style consultant's working on it. And I'm chiming in when I think she gets the answers wrong. Actually, I got an answer wrong. And she straightened it out, which is great. Okay, so let's get over to the rest of the news. Let's see how we do this. There we go. Okay, and I wanted to talk about um, a couple of things. Whoops. What? This was a really good article. Um, very, very thoughtful. I wish I'd known about becoming a dad in Adland. And he talks about how difficult it was. He got a big promotion 
and he also got a new baby. <laughs> and he said, you know, not only was it lack of sleep and a, a new level of housekeeping for him, uh, he loved his boy more than anything, but he he wasn't ready for the wedge that looking after the little one would put between us. Okay, put this like this. It's supposed to be like that. There you go. And, uh, you know, he said, I longed for the days when uh, we could just drop everything and go out to a movie or something. Yes, it changes you, you know, after four kids. And uh, he said they had a standing joke at the office about the TDC, which is the Tired Dad Club. But he said it's really helpful to, to talk with other dads, pick their brains like consultants and figure out how it goes. And despite how your life is turned upside down, nothing is as gratifying as having my children. And I think that's really right, except... Steve, wait till your grandchildren come along. That is even more fun. <laughs> if I would have known it was that much fun, I would have started with the grandchildren, as they say. But, you know, that's what they say. Anyway, now, you know, yesterday I I did that article about um about direct about direct marketing and 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 direct mail and you know, the author kept saying uh, about spray and pray. She said that a couple of times. Spray and pray. Back in the old days of direct mail, it was spray and pray. And she's only a, about, I think, I estimated she's about exactly 10 years younger than I am. So, you know, she's, yeah, she's, it said in her bio that she'd been in direct mail for 30 years. I've been 40. So that's about a pretty good estimate. Um, but uh, I wrote this in 1987. And at the time, I had two kids. So I identify with Steve quite a bit in the crazy. And two more came along after this, right after this. <laughs> and right as I started my, my own consulting firm. But anyway, I, I reread this from 1987. And I was kind of shocked at, at how, um, how it's still true. And uh, it's basically... The definition of direct marketing, and you've heard that before on the show, and how it applies to our companies today and, and the limitations of direct marketing. And um, so I marked it up, unlike yesterday when I just mentioned that I remembered that I had it. It had a bunch of case studies in there that I'd forgotten about, too, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, and here's the, the direct marketing definition that you read in all the textbooks. It's still around. I went around Namoa and I asked people, what do you think direct marketing is? And they all gave me the definition, pretty much. Uh, generating a measurable response. Measurable response, right? And uh, so, you know, you can measure a lot of things. Oh, I'll mention Pete Hoke. He was one of the authors of the definition, along with Bob Stone, who I used to I used to drop in on Bob after he had sold off his company and was retired. And we would have long talks about the definition of direct marketing, which... Um, you know, in order to go from the past to the future, where's the other hand there? From the past to the future, you need to have explanations of what caused the past. That's the scientific method, right? It's, it's really at its core. And in order to get explanations, you have to try to isolate causal variables. And what we do to isolate causal variables is we try to limit the variance between the tests, between experiments. And the way we do that is we do, for example, 
in a, in a football game, we play both teams on the same field on the same day in the same weather. One's a home, you know, one's got a home field advantage, one doesn't. But you can look at the effect of that. It's about a three-point differential, as they say. And we even switch sides so that the wind, every quarter, you know, they switch ends. So when I was a kid, my dad said, well, they changed uniforms. <laughs> And I didn't know any different, but I remember him telling me that they changed uniforms because, you know, now the green ones are going, you know, anyway. Mm. So that limits the effect of the wind and the weather on the overall scope of the game as an example, right? I mean, but you got to play it somewhere so that you're stuck with that. And, and what we do in direct mail is we take, say, every other name. Or something like that. Now, on a holdout, you want to be a little more careful than that. Um, nth has its pluses and its minuses. When you're applying it to the customer file, you end up with an oversampling of the poorer customers. So if you're not careful, if you don't segment it first and then do the and then do the AB split or the nth split, you you can easily get too many of the best names, the 1% can easily fall in an uneven way. Just say it. So anyway, when we isolate direct, when we isolate causal variables by this careful methodology like we do in football, we can then say, well, this particular variable, a price change or an image change or a list change, when everything else was the same and everything mailed on the same day, has this level of causal effect. And once we start ranking our causal effects for our customers or for our for our company, because it doesn't necessarily apply to the next company, uh, we highly recommend all the time go back and, and try it again. But once we do that, we end up with, with some knobs to, to twiddle, some things to try, since we know this is the main effect. What can we do differently? Or we made a huge gain in one effect. Maybe there's other things to test after that. It's, it's at least as much art as science, okay? Uh, and so this article gets into in really some great detail about the idea and the necessity of knowing causal factors. It's because marketing is an attempt to predict the future. But if all you have is a measurement of the results, and not an idea of what caused the results, then all you're doing is gathering up history. You're not predicting the future, and you don't generate the benefits. Here's a, here's a funny story. Suppose you discover that every time you mail your catalog, your revenue per piece exactly matches the, piece, the price per pound of Colombian coffee. Okay, so let's say that, right? Let's say you make, or let's say profit per piece now, because things have gone up. So let's say you make $3.50 per book, profit per piece, on your customer file. And now you hear that there's been a killing frost in Colombia. So half the crop is destroyed. What's that going to do to the price of coffee? It's going to double the cost, the price of Colombian coffee or something like that. It's going to impact it anyway. So now the question is, do you double your mailing? And of course, everyone, everyone who thinks about it a little would say, no, I would never do that. Why? Because you have no idea what the causal connection is. And yet, 
That's what happens when we do direct mail, we measure the results, or digital, we measure the results, and we have no idea of what the causal impact is or what caused the, caused the response to happen. And that is the essence of direct marketing, is the ability to isolate causal variables and therefore generate causal impact and then extrapolate into the future. Without that, without the causal connection, you don't, you don't have the courage. But sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. For example, you know, I worked with uh, Norscott Industries for a long time. Scott Stern over there. He doesn't look at his LinkedIn, so I can mention him, but I don't think I can even find him on LinkedIn. But he, but uh, let's say there's a hundred in the whole country, and there's only a few hundred in the whole world of, you know authorized Caterpillar dealers. So if you want to know what's going on, you don't do a format test in a mailing. You don't do, uh, you know, you don't do <laughs> A-B splits because you don't have enough sample. You'd be better off calling them all. So if you want to know what's going on, you pick up the phone and call them. And interestingly, Scott did that during the pandemic. He actually had his salespeople go and call on the Caterpillar dealers. And it was a boom. It was just because they didn't realize all the products that they that he could offer them. And uh, they just talked about one thing. And he did some great outreach. His business is way up since the pandemic, which is really great. Okay, so there's never enough data to make a decision. There's never enough data because data is historical. Explanation gets you to the future but not data. As soon as the test is over, conditions change. You get the right answer in the test, but the next day it may not apply. And that's the way the world works. If you do have enough data, it's too late. You only have enough data after the fact. I have a friend who ran a temperature instrument company. He ran, I don't know if you're, if you're around a long time, there used to be little charts. There used to be little, little machines on the wall in a in an IT department in a computer room. And the charts would have a line on them and it was the temperature. And it, and it proved that the, that the temperature control of the room was consistent. And so when you had a problem with your computer, you knew you could rule out, rule out that variable by looking at that chart, okay? And he had a great business because he drew, grew dramatically because people wanted to prove that. But he never came up with another product and so after about 10 years, competitors started making simpler products, much less expensive, you know, creating data sets of temperature rather than a little chart on a, on a circle. Um, and in this article, I say it's too late for those guys. Now that they know everything about the industry, but actually they, <laughs> then they pivoted and you know those little signs that little, it looks like a little yellow man, a little yellow stick figure kind of that tips open like a, a, a board sign and uh, it says, you know, caution, wet floor. <laughs> That's what he started selling after that. So it just happens to be that. Um, so, that's, oh, so where does prayer come in? Oh, there's one more page, right? Uh, there's one more prayer. Yesterday will be like tomorrow. Tomorrow will be like yesterday, except if it isn't. And here's the scientific chicken story, which I actually did tell yesterday. Uh, and this is where prayer comes in. 
If your entire life is direct marketing, then you should consider prayer because things will change. And boy, was that was that prescient in 20 in, in 1987. You know, have things changed since then? You know, the internet didn't even exist. Now, there there were bulletin boards and I was in involved with them in the 80s. Back even, you know, but a decade before the uh, the internet came. But now everything is digital. And they don't know what the causal implications of that are. And why don't they? Because they can't capture who saw the ad, engaged with it, and didn't buy. And that's the magic of mail. We know that even the non-buyers engaged. Engagement isn't worth very much. The style consultant asked me that after I talked about the article yesterday about engagement. But it is worth something in machine learning. It's worth something because we know we know which households engaged with our ad at some level, but didn't buy. The digital world doesn't know that. The mass media world doesn't know that. They don't know if you looked at that page in the magazine or not. They know you subscribed, whatever. They know they sent it to you. They don't know if you looked at that page, right? They don't know if you walked out and got a beer at that when that commercial ran. They don't know. You know, now they can. They think they can track it. Now we're watching... We're watching YouTube on our big screen TV that we just got. <laughs> but they don't know if I left in the middle. You know, a lot of those things have commercials in the middle of them. <laughs> they don't know if I watched it or not. You don't know, right? You can have heat maps, but then you wouldn't still know the decision made. Oh, sure, yeah, there's ways to track it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. But in mail, we do know. We know that it got delivered. We know who we sent it to. We know it got delivered. We know it got brought in the house and looked at. Not just by anybody, but by the decision maker. And we know it probably got put in the trash. But that's still higher engagement than any of the digital people know. Because if you ignore the digital, it goes away. Mail doesn't. Mail, you have to deal, deal with it. So that magical little piece gives us the ability to isolate causal variables, to build explanation, over time to build theory. And theory lets us predict the future. That's the scientific method. Think back to sophomore year high school. But tomorrow could be different. So prayer is not statistically verifiable, but then neither is the inspiration needed to do the very best direct marketing. I'm John Miglosh. Have a great day. Like and share. Comment. A comment is worth 20 likes. So since you can't like it 20 times, you can only like it once. Make a comment.